in this episode of the Deep Gripping Reality, I give yet another uh, consulting session with a client. You'll hear my side, but not theirs. And they were asking about SEO content writing, copywriting, and blogging. And we all know blogging has SEO value, but she had some really great questions. So without further ado, here we go. You're listening to the Deep Gripping Reality Podcast. The show that gives you leadership lessons and insights from the cutting edge of digital marketing. Hosted by Stephen J. Edelman. It's about to get deep. First off, I'm really glad that you want to talk about blogs because, you know, you know how excited I am about um, long-form content and its SEO value. So the fact that you want to know about headers makes me excited in a very nerdy way. <laughs> so uh, headers are, are a lot more than just styling. And I, I made the mistake when I first got into copywriting to be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, this is a neat way to make it look bigger or to make content pop out. But it is way more valuable than that. So your headers are designed to think of it like like chapters and subchapters in a book. So you only have you only have one H1 header in your blog, okay? You don't need to, if you're using SiteViz, you don't need to worry about that because whatever your title tag is, that's what whatever you set your title to, that's your H1 header. If you have more than one H1 header, header, it can actually hurt your SEO because Google doesn't know which one of those two is the actual title of the page that you're on. And it's not just for blogs, it's for any page. Um, an H2 header is a really good um, header or, or title essentially, or, or like a sub subheader, subtitle type of situation. Um, and so when you use an H2 header, you wanna have some other keyword context, uh, maybe asking a question in there is good. Um, but that information is, so when the Google crawlers go through your website and first they hit your sitemap, when they're hitting individual pages, they're looking at the headers because they know that that is usually some kind of question or it's a main point. And then the content under it is the supporting stuff. And then if, so say you, you have, um, say we're going to be talking about shopping, for example. Okay. And so your, your H1 would be, um, Shopping in brick and mortar, the experience isn't dead. This is all off the top of my head, right? And then the H2 header would be, um, though shopping online is on the rise, there's a certain amount of, of uh, there's a certain amount of charm that can only be found shopping in person, whatever it is. So then you, you have all your content there that talks about what it is and, you know, what the benefits of shopping in person are. And then an H3 header which is technically under the H2 because it's the same subject, just a little mini point to, that you want to bring forward would be, so like, so like a list is great for H3 headers. So um, five reasons shopping online isn't dead or shopping in person isn't dead. And, and number one might be it's an H3 header and it would be the in-person experience. And then no one can deny that the subject, the topic under that would be, or the, the supporting text under that would be, no one can deny that shopping online is super convenient and, you know, fast and, and secure. However, you know, there's a certain amount of customer service that tends to get lost when you don't have the face-to-face -face interaction, blah, 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 blah. 
Uh, number two, so the point number two, you would have another H3 header because it's the same subject. It's just a, uh, the second point that you want to make, the, the key point. It might say something like, um, sometimes you can only find special deals in store, right? And then you have, you talk about how, yes, there's a lot of online deals, but a lot of times, you know, if there's clearance or something, you can only find that in store. And then number three, and so that'd be another H3 header. Now, say you're still in the same main subject, which is the H1, but you're going to a slightly different topic, okay? Um, so, for example, um, I don't know how to, how to explain it. Um, uh, faster access, we'll say, or, or whatever. Fast, faster access to inventory um, or, or a major change that's coming or something. That's going to be an H2. So, same main subject, but you're shifting to another chapter, I guess would be the way to say it. Okay? So, if you're thinking about it like you're writing a book, the title of the book is the H1. The uh, chap primary chapter name is the H2, and then if you have little subcategories, essentially, that would be H3, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's essentially, it helps with navigation, but then it also visually breaks up the content a little bit so that, that readers stay engaged and, and understand better what to expect. And then from a technical standpoint, you can make any of those headers what's called anchor text, which makes it jump to different parts of the blog or the, the page, which is super helpful. I'll get into that in a sec. Um, and then also for the search side of it, how you asked how important the SEO side is. Well, when the Google crawler is scanning the internet looking for answers, it if you have, you know, what are five reasons to shop at brick and to, that you should still be shopping brick and mortar in 2020, for example, right? Um, and then you have your, your subheaders as the actual numbered part of the list, well, then it might grab that for a snippet, a snippet because it's Google loves bullet points and they love lists, right? So um, it's a really good way to not only organize your content, but also m make it uh, easier for both to speak directly to the Google crawlers very subtly in a way that, that the average website viewer isn't necessarily going to notice. So when we talk about anchor text, it, it is, it's kind of a next level blogging tip because it doesn't make sense if it's, if it's a short blog, less than a thousand words or even less than 1500 words, having anchor text doesn't make sense because somebody could easily scan through that. However, if it's long and has several points that might, if somebody might be interested in just one of those points, then having that on there, having that anchor link is a really easy way to, to help people navigate and make it more convenient and, and have them be more engaged on, on the page. I, I can't stress that this part enough. Like if you, by putting videos on your blogs or really anywhere on your website, embedding it in there and not, not like go to another page, but stay on your page, that three minutes or two minutes that they spend watching that video counts toward the time on the page for Google. So Google is watching the interactions on the page. It's watching how long it's on there. And the longer somebody stays on a page, the more relevant information that they that they find. So if even if you did open this, if you did click on this to watch it in YouTube, it would open in a new tab, which means that this timer is still going in the background. See what I'm saying? That's why I've always I've always pushed on crosslinks opening in new windows because it keeps the timer going on the original page, but it also helps the crawlers navigate through your website and see how everything's connected. Yeah. Yep. Since Google, that's a, yeah. So since Google owns YouTube, they like to promote themselves anyway. 
So when you do something that, like you embed a YouTube video into your your uh, web page, Google likes that because it's it's you know Google getting a chance to promote itself a little bit in a way. Okay, so finding topics can be probably one of the hardest things about blogging, and you know finding ones that hit your keywords are are also tough, but. What I will say is that aside from using um, Google's Keyword Planner to come up with ideas, that's one way to do it, uh, and that's built into the Google Ads tools, but another way to do it, or something I found that's really kind of cool, is that you can um, set up news alerts through Google. When you're logged into your Google account, you can go in and you can set up news alerts. So, and, and you can pick like the, I think, I think I haven't done this a long time because I don't usually use this technique, but it works really well anyway. So maybe I'll start again, but you can go through and you can pick like if you want it from the entertainment industry or shopping or, or fashion or decor or whatever. But if you put in certain keywords that you want to, to get updated, fresh info on anytime that a, a relevant, that Google finds a relevant, um, post get made that it knows based on your search history that you'll find engaging and like, you get an email update. And so so it's like I used to do, when I first got into SEO copywriting, I didn't know that's what I was doing. I used to write, I don't know if I've ever told this story before, but I used to write for a website called zombiezonenews.com, and it's not around anymore. But I was a big zombie fan before The Walking Dead and before all that stuff. And so I used to write articles about zombie merchandise and zombie books and, and zombie movies and reviews and things like that. And, and um, one of the ways that I would stay on top of the news was that any time there was an article about undead, uh, zombies, any, any keyword-related thing, I would get a notification through Google News alerts. And I could check that just about every day, and there would be some interesting stuff. And it worked really, really well one time specifically um, there was a big news event that had happened in real life uh, in Miami, Florida. Um, a guy was on some kind of drugs or something, and he viciously attacked another person, a homeless guy. And he was like, "It was, it's really, it was really gruesome. Like he was biting the guy or something horrible." And the police officer shot him like three times in the back, and this man didn't stop attacking the other guy until he got shot in the head. So I, I was like, "That is insane! Like that's a real life zombie attack." And so I got this notification at like two in the morning. And it was, uh, it was right outside of the Huffington Post building. And so the Huffington Post reported it first. So I coined the term Miami zombie. And I wrote an article about it right then that early in the morning. And I woke up the next day and that article had, um, 565,000 views. Yeah, because I was one of the first news sources that had as much information as humanly possible. So it's, you know, that's a pretty extreme case. I've never had anything go viral quite like that since. Um, and I'm pretty sure that website has since crashed. And I'm not going to say it's because I don't write for them anymore, but, you know, coincidence. Um, but yeah, news alerts is a good way to do it. Uh, also, um, following different trends is a great way to do it. So if, you, if you're searching hashtags, um, on, on Facebook, if you, in the search bar, type in hashtag whatever, country living, hashtag... Um, you know, any of your keywords that you know are popular, uh, it'll tell you, you'll be able to see how many people use that hashtag. So you find the one that, and it'll recommend related hashtags that way. And so when you, when you find the one that has the highest engagement, you can click on that. And when you do, uh, you'll see all kinds of articles and stuff pop up. 
So, so there's, there, there's different ways. And, and obviously, you know, you don't want to copy anything, but I would say that one of the best ways to get inspiration is, is I mean, obviously it's easiest to write something that you're passionate about. So, you know, walking around your environment, looking around and, fe- and being open to being inspired. This sounds really new age and corny, but it's true. You know, walking around your environment and, and looking around and saying, yeah, you know, that's really cool. What, 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 how does that make me feel? You know, and kind of dig deep and then write personal, write personally about it. And then you think, okay, well, what would go good with that? You know, how could I see this? Start imagining your dream house. When, uh, when my wife and I, before the Marshalltown tornado hit two years ago, my wife and I, uh, we're sitting around and we're like, you know, it'd be awesome if we could just build our dream house. What would it take to build a dream house? Well, we'd love to have a privacy fence. And so we wrote down, we'd love to have a privacy fence. Um, we'd love to be able to have a big shed in the backyard. So we wrote down shed. We'd love to be able to remodel our bathroom and have a nice shower. So we wrote that down. And so we, we just really started brainstorming all these ideas. And, you know, it ended up coming true. We ended up being able to save up and make these things happen. And if we hadn't visualized those goals and then written down some details about it, that wouldn't have happened. Now, how that relates to, to, to blogging is that I have found that one of the easiest ways to write a blog is to write down a list of bullet points and then figure out how to connect the dots. <laughs> you write down the, the key things that you want to hit, and then you literally just fill it with fluff, essentially. Valuable fluff, but fluff. Near and dear to my heart. So I've found that when you stop worrying about the word count, and you start worrying about telling a story, the words come super easily for you. And, and I mean, yes, you need to hit 600 words because then it gets indexed as a blog. Yeah. But I think that if you outline your main points that you want to hit and then you tell a story and make it personal and you connect with people on why this is great, you know, as if you're talking to a good friend but keeping it with professional verbiage, it fills itself out. Like, a lot of the, a lot of the blogs that I've written for my company... I sit down and I, I do the I do a quick outline of it and I think okay this is gonna this is gonna be you know maybe a thousand words and then <laughs> I share it with with some of my colleagues before I publish it and they go geez this thing's the magnum opus what are you writing War and Peace <laughs> it's like it's like whoa <laughs> okay I didn't realize I was that in depth but it's because you know it 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 just it flows <laughs> it flows I don't know how else to say it but I, I'm really glad to hear that it's it's coming a lot easier for you and I think that the more you the more you practice it and you stop worrying about the word count and just write it out first, the easier you'll find it is, the happier you'll be, you know? When it comes to finding inspiration, just remember that because the internet is so deep and so fast, if you're interested in something, there's a good chance other people will be. And if, if you speak personally about it and you explain why you like it, People will connect with it better and it'll do better. Um, prime example of that is, I mean, look how many, when you, when you, when we automate pins to Pinterest and you have a whole ton of product dumps, you get, you know, a million impressions and it's because people care about that stuff, you know? And, and that's another, that's another, I'm glad I just thought that that's another great way to find inspiration is look through your social posts, especially Pinterest and see what people are engaging with. And if the things that have the highest engagement are things that people want to know about. And so you can use your audience as a, as a form of inspiration and, um, without them even knowing it, you're basically crowdsourcing information without people being around, uh, 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 aware that you're crowdsourcing information.